I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, a holistic look at the power of music in our everyday lives. Today is June 29, and here in the U.S. we will be celebrating Independence Day, 4th of July, this weekend. So today we're going to take a look at our national anthem, which will be played at many events this week. It's also a part of most sporting events. We'll be hearing it played this summer at the Olympics whenever an American wins the gold. But how much does the average American know about our song and how it came to be? Joining me today from Washington, D.C. is author and history consultant Tim Grove. Tim holds a graduate degree in history and an undergraduate degree in journalism. His career has included positions at the Smithsonian's National Portrait Gallery, the National Air and Space Museum, and the National Museum of American History, which is home to the Star Spangled Banner. Tim writes history nonfiction, and his most recent book is Star Spangled, the story of a flag, a battle, and the American anthem. Welcome to Enhanced Life with Music, Tim. Thank you, Mindy. It's good to be here. Tim, there's this entertaining collection of videos called People on the Street videos, where random people are asked questions about history or politics, like, what does Congress do? You know, like, tell us in your own words what you think Congress does. And it's interesting, sometimes painful, <laughs> to listen to yeah. what a random sampling of people know or don't know about some of these topics. I'm guessing it's especially painful for someone like you to listen to, who's a historian and lives in Washington, D.C. Yes. <laughs> if there was a People on the Street video about our national anthem, what do you think are some of the most commonly known facts about the Star Spangled Banner's backstory? How it came to be? What are some of the basic facts that most Americans do know? Uh, I would say it's pretty limited. Um, I would say most Americans could probably link a man named Francis Scott Key with our national anthem. They know that he wrote it. Mm -hmm. um, they might not have the correct war. They might not know a battle was going on. They might not know. I'm sure they don't know who sewed the flag because so many people think it was Betsy Ross. So not a lot, I would say. And when you say the flag, you're talking about the flag that was flying when Francis Scott Key saw it and wrote the words to the... Correct. It gets a little confusing because it's a song and a flag. And the flag sure. still exists uh, in the collection of the Smithsonian. So it's owned by the American people. Well, let's start with the words. What's your guess uh, on the percentage of Americans <laughs> who know the, all the words to, well, the first stanza that we sing as our national anthem? I would like to think that most do, but I think I would be wrong. So I would probably say between 15 and 40% of Americans know the words. Okay. I'm guessing those who are more active in attending sporting events are probably more likely to, to, to know the words would be my guess, since it is played very consistently at sporting events. Yes. Well, tell us, tell us about the lyrics and how the lyrics to the Star Spangled Banner came to be written. So one of the questions that historians, true uh, history geeks, I would say, or purists, <laughs> I would guess we would say, one question they have is, was Francis Scott Key writing lyrics or was he writing a poem? Because he did have a tune in mind. He'd actually written a song to that tune in the past. That's really a minor point. But he was inspired to write this poem by watching a battle unfold before his eyes. He happened to be behind enemy lines. So it was the Battle of Baltimore, 
1814 as part of the War of 1812, which is very confusing to start with. <laughs> but the British were attacking Baltimore, and uh, Fort McHenry was the main defensive structure in Baltimore's harbor. And so there was a major naval bombardment of the fort, and that's what Key was watching. The reason he was where he was is that shortly before this event, the British had attacked Washington, D.C. Key lived in Georgetown, which was just outside of Washington, D.C. at the time. As those events unfolded, the British had captured someone who Key knew, uh, a friend of the family. His name was Dr. William Beans. He was a civilian. They captured him and took him as a prisoner. Beans's friends came to Key, who was a well-known lawyer and known for being very articulate. He had already argued cases before the Supreme Court. And they said, would you come along and get permission? You had to get permission from the president to approach the British and try to argue for Beans's release. They knew they had a very short amount of time. So Key agreed to do that, and he had to go with some military officials. And they had to find the British fleet because they didn't know where they were in the bay somewhere. So finally, they managed to find the main leadership, you know, the admiral, and he agreed to meet with them for military terms. And right away, they, they had agreed to release him. He didn't really have to argue his point because he had brought some letters that the British prisoners, who the Americans had captured... They wrote some letters that he had taken along with him. So that kind of greased the wheels. So they agreed to release him. And so Key thought they would be on their way then. Uh -huh. But they had overheard plans for the attack of Baltimore. And so the British leadership said, no, no, you're not leaving us <laughs> until we end up finishing this attack. So he was stuck. So he was so stuck there until after the battle was done. Correct. So he was forced to watch the British bombard Baltimore and was nervous. It was a battle that lasted from September 12th to 14. So it wasn't just oh, so this one is quick days. afternoon. Correct. Oh, Correct. wow. Well, I did not picture this lasting a couple days. Is there a lot of confusion surrounding where Key was and why he had this close-up view? And the reason I ask is one impetus for this episode is last year, 4th of July, I got an email from my state senator saying it was celebrating the 4th of July and saying, you know, X number of years ago, Francis Scott Key woke up as a prisoner of war of the British and woke up to see the, the U.S. flag flying. And I won't name my senator because I don't want to embarrass him. But I remember reading that email thinking, oh, my goodness, why have I not heard this story? And so I looked it up and he, he wasn't a prisoner of war. No, but is, no. is there some confusion about that story of where he was and why? Well, historians have tried to pinpoint exactly where he was. I mean, he was on the water, and so where was he exactly? He would have been behind the ships that were firing the bombs. Uh-huh. They have a pretty reasonable guess as to where he was. Have you heard that before? Some people saying that he was a prisoner of war when he... No, I haven't. Okay. No. <laughs> so... I mean, he was a prisoner. He couldn't leave, so... Well, I guess, yeah, I guess technically maybe you could say he was a prisoner of war. Well, so he, he wrote the lyrics as he's has this up-close look at the action of this battle over the course of a couple days, wrote the words at the end of the battle, and it was originally written as a poem? So actually, he just started scribbling on, a, on an envelope that was in his pocket. So he really didn't write the whole poem, which is four stanzas. It's not only one that we uh -huh. sing. 
But that just he just started that when he saw the flag. Seeing the flag, that it was still an American flag, and the British didn't take the fort at the beginning of the morning, that's what was the moment of inspiration for him. Mm. He remained a prisoner about a day more, or two days, and then he was freed. And then he went to a hotel in Baltimore, and that night he started writing the four stanzas. He couldn't get it out of his head. He just, mm. you know, he was an inspired poet at that point. Tell us about the music that the poem was set to and how that match was made between the lyrics and the, the music. So the tune is called To Anacreon in Heaven. And one misconception is some people think it was a bar song. And that's really not quite accurate. The Anachronotic Society was a gentleman's club in London and uh, the tune originated in about 1775. It was written by a man who um, was organist and a soloist at Gloucester Cathedral in England. And if you go there, I just happened to be there about two years ago and was surprised to see American flag in the cathedral. And I thought, oh, it must be a World War II memorial or something. But no, it was a memorial to um, John Stafford Smith, mm. uh, who was from that congregation, who wrote the tune to the American National Anthem. Oh, interesting. Anyway, so the Anachronotic Society was a gentleman's club in London. It was named for the 6th century Greek poet Anacreon. And they met in the Strand, and their meetings often included a concert by some of the best performers in London. Their meetings often had a concert, and then they would have supper, and then they would sing songs. And the first song of the evening they always sang was this song. To Anacreon in Heaven. It was kind of the club song. So at the time in the U.S., was this tune just a well-known tune, sort of like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star is for us now? So at the time, there were about 85 songs already to that tune in the U.S. The most popular political song of the day was called Adams and Liberty, and that was to that tune. So it was a very popular tune. Okay, that's ironic to me that the songs about liberty and our national anthem were set to tunes that were written by the British who we were <laughs> fighting against at the time. You know, who knows if most Americans even knew the tune had originated in Britain. Huh, interesting. Tell us how the U.S. flag and the song came to be called the Star-Spangled Banner, because that was not an original title that Key gave to his poem or song. Is that right? Yes. His poem was first published in Baltimore as The Defense of Fort McHenry. That was the title. Mm, and um, I might be wrong about this, but I think a music publisher, when it was first published as a music piece, called it the Star-Spangled Banner. And it just stuck. Right. Okay, and at that point, did the flag, did the U.S. flag already have that nickname? That's a good question. I don't know. I think so, but I'm not sure. And the actual flag that inspired Keys had how many stars and stripes at the time? It had 15 stars and 15 stripes, and the plan was to add a stripe and a star for every new state. However, they quickly realized that it would get way too long or the stripes would get too narrow if you kept adding stripes. So they came up with keeping the 13 stripes for the original colonies and just adding a star. Tell us about how this song officially became our national anthem or, or when it did. So in 1931, it finally became the national anthem when Herbert Hoover, President Herbert Hoover, signed the bill into law. But it had been very popular. Even in, in uh, Key's lifetime, it was a popular patriotic song. And it became the kind of the unofficial anthem of the North during the Civil War. And I would say by the 1890s, the Army and the Navy were had started using it for military ceremonies, kind of their official national anthem because there was no official national anthem. 
The first documented performance at a sporting event was 1918, which was the first game of the World Series that year, which was Mm -hmm. held in Chicago. And then by 1942, it was a regular feature of baseball games. It's really interesting to me that we did not have an official national anthem until 1931. Yeah, yes. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. And around that time, there were many other patriotic songs that were available to choose from, as there we still have other patriotic songs like America the Beautiful, My Country Tis of Thee. What do you think made this song, The Star-Spangled Banner, so popular that it was chosen as the national anthem? I don't know. I haven't done a lot of research into that, but I would say that it was already in use strongly by the military, and so it had already become kind of popular as a national anthem, unofficial national anthem. It's kind of interesting because it's really a story, the, the words are telling a story. You'd think that the national anthem would be more about a prayer for blessings for the country or our leaders or right. proclamation of our values of freedom and independence and courage and whatever. So, yeah, it's, it's, I would say it's very unique among the national anthems of the world in that it doesn't talk about the virtues of the citizens of a country or pray for the health of the monarch like Britain's does. Yeah. Um, it's about a historic event. If you had to pick a national anthem, do you think you would have picked the Star-Spangled Banner? I like the Star-Spangled Banner a lot because I'm a history person. I like that it tells a story. Of course, there are various objections to it. It's too militaristic. It is about a battle. It's racist. There's that objection as well. That objection is relates to other verses, not the verse that we sing as the uh, national anthem. Okay. Well, and of course, it's very important to point out that Francis Scott Key was a slave owner his whole life. Mm. So he's the man who wrote The Land of the Free and the Home of the Brave, Mm. but he did enslave people. He did free several slaves, at least seven, throughout his life. He had a very interesting relationship with people of African heritage. Uh, He was opposed to the slave trade. So he's a very complex character, for sure. Yeah, well, it seems like there's a lot of leaders from that time period who fit into that category where they may have spoken out against some of the abusive treatment of slaves, but they still had slaves. Right. This is a quick break to tell you about Sonics, the service that I use to transcribe these episodes. Sonics is an artificial intelligence transcription service that automatically converts audio and video files to text, and it can translate to over 40 languages. I transcribed these episodes to make them more accessible. I tried multiple services and chose to stick with Sonics because of their accuracy, affordability, and because their site is just so easy to use. That's a big plus for me to not need to spend a bunch of time figuring out one more platform. While I love podcasts, I do tend to be a very visual learner. I figure other people probably are too, and having that written form of your work just makes it more versatile. Sonic's transcripts make the most of your hard work and can increase traffic to your site. Sonics is spelled S-O-N-I-X. You can check them out with a free trial plus an extra 100 minutes of free transcription by using the link sonics.ai slash invite slash Enhanced Life 100. There's a link in the show notes. Again, it's spelled S-O-N-I-X, and that link is sonics.ai slash invite slash Enhanced Life 100 for a free trial and an extra 100 minutes of free transcription. 
Well, you said that the Star Spangled Banner was first played in a sporting event in 1918. When did it and how did it become a regular fixture at sporting events, being played before sporting events? You know, I don't know that. Okay. When I think about the Star Spangled Banner, there's certain moments that come to my mind where it really struck a chord with me and were just momentous touching moments, I guess I would say. One of them, there is a store, Gander Mountain near us. It's not there anymore, but they had the biggest flag I've ever seen flying outside their store. And I think just whenever I see a flag that's enormous in size, it just has this magnificence and majesty to it that it really catches your breath and catches Mm -hmm. your attention and really evokes the sense of patriotism and pride in our country. And so that's one moment that comes to my mind. And another moment that comes to mind is when I was out of the country for about a week and a half and I came back. I had been in Europe, so I had been in many different small countries. A lot of them were German-speaking or a language that I had no clue what they were saying. I, I know some Spanish so the Spanish, Italian, you know, I could kind of get by with that. But the German, not not a chance. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had a wonderful time and didn't really expect this response of when I came back to the U.S. and landed and got off the plane into the airport and saw that U.S. flag. I really had this sort of emotional response, like, I'm home. And... Mm-hmm. I, it was the first time I remember having like this feeling of affection for what they call American soil. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like you hear that term and you're I don't really think that much of it. But when I got off that plane, I remember thinking I'm back on American soil. And it just had that feeling of resonance for me and a touching moment. Can you think of any moments that you can relate to or you experienced that when you saw the U.S. flag, saw the Star Spangled Banner? Well, I was very fortunate to work, like you mentioned, at the National Museum of American History. And while I was there, the Star Spangled Banner was undergoing a huge multi-multi-million dollar conservation project to protect it for the future. I was fortunate to get to go up very close to it within about a foot of it so I could see how threadbare it truly is. But the power of the object is just truly, truly incredible. I should say that most Americans don't realize how big the original flag was, and it was 30 by 42 feet. So that's about a quarter the size of a modern basketball court. That is big. And when you say the original flag, you're talking about the one that inspired Francis Scott Key, the one that was flying during that battle. And the other thing I should point out is that the woman who sewed the flag, her name is Mary Pickersgill. And her home is actually a historic site that you can visit in Baltimore. It's preserved. Mm. And she was commissioned the year before in 1813 to sew two flags for Fort McHenry. One, the one I mentioned, was the garrison flag. And there was also a smaller one called the storm flag, which would be flown in poor weather. Well, one thing that I will have to admit I learned when I was preparing for this interview is... If you would have asked me one of those people on the street questions about the battle that inspired Francis Scott Key to write this song, I would have guessed it was during the Revolutionary War. Mm -hmm. And so I I have to admit, I forgot that it was the War of 1812. And interesting that it actually happened in 
1814. So yeah. I hope that that's one thing that I remember from this conversation is is the war that inspired our national anthem. Are there any other particularly interesting Star Spangled Banner trivia pieces that listeners may be interested in knowing or that you would like people to know? Well, it's, it's fun to know that the stars were about a foot from tip to tip. The stripes were about a foot tall as well. So that was a lot of material that Mary Pickersgill had to come up with. And a war was going on, so it was not that, that easy to get the material. Ah, good point. Most interesting thing that I learned, I would say, during this all, what, what I tried to do with the book is to provide a broader context for the story, which most people don't know. And so I tried to include women's history. Mary Pickersgill was a 19th century American businesswoman, very savvy businesswoman. I also tried to include African-American history. And one story that I did not know before I started research for the book was the Colonial Marines. The Colonial Marines were a group of former slaves that were recruited by the British to fight for the British. So they actually trained at a base on an island in the Chesapeake Bay that the British occupied called Tangier Island. And they were uh, involved in several battles during the Chesapeake campaign. They were involved with the attack on Washington. They were also involved in the Battle of Baltimore. So that's a very interesting story. Yeah, I love that you included that context in your book. I will definitely have a link in the show notes to your book. Tell us real quick about your next book. Is that due out next spring? Yes, it's due out next spring. And I'm staying with the military history theme. Um, (laughs) I'm uh, going to tell the story of the Siege of Yorktown which of course was the last major battle in the American Revolution. And the angle that I'm, I'm taking is I'm including a character that, it's a story that most people don't know. And he was an enslaved man who was a spy for General Lafayette, Marquis de Lafayette, mostly during Yorktown. And so his story hasn't really been told much before. And so there, there's not a lot of primary source materials, but I found enough that I could include him as one of the major characters in the book. It's a fascinating story. It sounds like it. He Uh, ended up actually taking Lafayette's name when he became free, when he earned his freedom. uh, He took the last, the surname Lafayette. So his name's James Lafayette. Oh, fascinating. Well, thank you so much, Tim, for giving us all this backstory information on our national anthem. I know I will have a lot more context and appreciation for what I'm singing and hearing the next time I sing or hear our national anthem. And it's it's great to have this context with our Independence Day, 4th of July holiday this week. Yes, you're welcome. I ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending, a coda, by sharing a song or story about a moment that music enhanced your life. Do you have a song or a story that you can share with us in closing today? Well, I've lived in Washington, D.C. for a long time. And one of the wonderful things about the area is Fourth of July and the millions of people that flock here. Uh, I have fond memories of going to the concert, the 4th of July concert on the West Lawn of the U.S. Capitol done by the National Symphony choirs, and they always bring in guest singers, uh, well-known uh, performers from around the country in different genres of music. And there's always a different version of the Star Spangled Banner, and it's fun to see each year what that performer's take on the, the national anthem is. Oh, I bet. Any performers that especially stand out in your memory? Uh, one was gospel singer Sandy Patty, who oh, actually became... Sure. She became famous 
when a recording of her singing the Star Spangled Banner was played on national television at the end of the Statue of Liberty anniversary weekend. Oh, and, so what year um, was that? I can't remember. <laughs> but that shot her to fame because people were so impressed with her version of the Star Spangled Banner. Uh, so that and, must have been um, what, like the 80s? I think it was, yeah. Reagan was president, so I think it was... My guess would be 1986 or 7. But that version is so interesting because she goes very high. She's known for going very high in in her Uh singing. And uh, it has a a bridge of other music, more contemporary words uh, in the middle of it. So it's just interesting. a little bit of the YouTube audio from the event Tim was describing. Sandy Patty singing during the 86 rededication of the Statue of Liberty. The YouTube link is in the show notes as well as ways to connect with Tim and get a copy of his book Star Spangled. 
Enhanced Life with Music has passed our 100th episode milestone, and our second birthday is coming up in August. We would love to have you help us celebrate this second birthday milestone by rating and leaving a written review in whatever podcast app you use or on podchaser.com. I'll be reading reviews on the show as part of our celebration. Every podcast app is a little different in terms of how you rate and review, so I won't go into detailed instructions here, but if you just Google review a podcast on Apple Podcasts, for example, You'll find instructions specific to your app. Tell us in the review why you listen. And thank you so much in advance for helping us celebrate our birthday in this way. As always, you'll find a transcript of this episode in the show notes at our website, mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast. This is episode 101. And you'll find me on email, mindy at mpetersonmusic.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. All links are on the website and in the episode details right in your podcast app. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with music.